Hello and welcome to the Magpie Talk Show, a podcast about technology. I'm your host, Sam Newman. This week, I'm interviewing NASA scientist Camille Udrahiri. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Magpie Talk Show. Uh, this week we have the second of our NASA two-part special. Last week I spoke to Anita Sengupta who works on the recent um, Mars Landers parachute system amongst many other things. And this week we hear from a colleague, Camille Ujahiri, who read, led the um, radio science team for the same lander. Uh, he said I had a fascinating journey into the sort of space sciences and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Again. Uh, so this is the second of a double header interview um, and I'm interviewing the other speaker during the keynotes on the last day here at Sydney. Uh, Kamal, would you maybe introduce yourself? So, uh, um, my name is Kamal Udureri. Um, I am here in beautiful Sydney uh, from uh, California, um, actually from the uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena. Uh, but I'm here invited as a uh, speaker on behalf of my nonprofit called Grove of Hope, which is uh, a nonprofit that I set up in 2004 with a group of scientists actually from NASA and, and an astronaut. And what we're trying to do is, is um, basically whatever NASA does uh, to inspire next generation in terms of uh, uh, workshops and hands-on activities for children uh, in the US. We try to duplicate similar programs in Africa and India uh, primarily right now and then also we do have um, programs that uh, train teachers in, in these rural areas on how to teach science for, for kids. So. That's a little bit um, why I'm here. <laughs> Even though I, I'm, I mean, I've worked on many uh, Mars missions. So just quickly, um, I was involved in the uh, Mars Exploration Rover as part of the telecommunication team, Spirit and Opportunity. So I worked on these missions uh, uh, for the primary mission on both. Uh, then I worked on the Mars Exploration Rover as a contract technical manager for this ultra-stable oscillator instrument. And uh, I was also part of the uh, Mars Science Laboratory as the lead for the radio science. And also um, there were four key teams during entry, descent and landing, and I was uh, leading one of the four teams. So I feel kind of uh, fortunate to have, you know, the opportunity to work on four successful I mean, three successful landings and, and one orbiter, so around Mars. So. And, 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 you know, obviously, as we'll get into in a moment, the, you know, the story of landers on Mars has always gone well. Um, and it's, uh, but coming back to the Grove of Hope thing, that's sort of interesting. It seems that part of the goal of the nonprofit is to, is to inspire. And I guess, you know, with that in mind, what is it that inspired you to get into, well, being a rocket scientist, basically? Oh, yeah. I th mine uh, is an interesting story because I have an older brother 
that used to subscribe to a French magazine called Science et Vie, Science and Life. And I remember being really young and, and looking through some of these uh, pictures, and they were pictures from Voyager. And um, so I was always really uh, mesmerized and, 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 and fascinated by, by space from a young age, but I really never knew I would uh, go and work uh, at NASA because I, you know, so I recall uh, being in France and my parent, because my brother was a doctor, uh, older, um, was studying to be a doctor, so for my parents, he, he, they uh, instilled in me this idea that I was gonna be a doctor and work with my brother. So when I uh, finished my high school, uh, before I finished my high school, I decided to um, really turn my, uh, you know, my direction to, to the States and I wanted to go and, and go to, I mean, I wanted to choose going to California and, and with the hope to work at NASA. So it kind of like started early on, but of course my family were against it, you know, it was um, a really long time ago and I didn't know anybody. So uh, it became really hard to, to um, get the support, mm. but I was stubborn from that aspect <laughs> because I really wanted to be part of it. Uh, and then the idea was like, okay, well, how about the European Space Agency? Because uh, it's already there. But for some reason, I, I just uh, had this uh, dream that I want to um, that I wanted to go and work at, at NASA. Uh, I mean, to be to be fair, probably at the time, uh, by comparison, there probably weren't as many big ESA successes you could point to, I guess, at this time early on. Oh yes, uh, I think for me. Uh, because I'm, you know, uh, and which is really interesting, I see it today. Because if you look at France, because I have a Moroccan heritage, mm. and, um, you know, I looked around, I didn't see many uh, role models, uh, unfortunately, in, during my time in 1980s. So I'm mean, talking about 1986 or so when I. So it, it was, yeah. Um, I was, I had this uh, sense of uh, discovery and exploration, even an adventure, because if I had stayed in Toulouse, um, I would have been around my family and, and I would not have uh, been faced with the challenges that later had, like, you know, going to the US and not knowing anybody. And I feel, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, it, it was yet, you know, a personal, drive to just experience something different just in itself i lived uh, an exploration well, that, that's <laughs> like, and then myself you, you did you explored yourself and yeah. then created something else for exploration on another planet which must be i mean i mean that's pretty impressive from from reading that magazine that you've made that journey already. no yes uh, and i think it uh, of course hard work is is essential but i have to say it was luck because one thing I haven't, uh, I didn't tell you, Sam, is that the magazine, a lot of pictures were about, like, like we said, Voyager, mm. right? But when I end up, when I ended up, you know, getting a job over 15 years ago or so, uh, I would say more because um, we're talking about, not, or, I mean, like in the 1990s, 
the center that built Voyager was the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And I remember when I, after the interview, they gave me a tour and they took me to a mock-up of the full uh, mock-up of Voyager. And I didn't know I was going to get hired, but it was, it, it, it was just a, an amazing experience to have been inspired by a picture from a, a, you know, a spacecraft and be standing next to a spacecraft after ha having gone through all these challenges in my life. And so I, I feel like, yeah, I had a lot to do with chance to and, and, and it feels like, I mean, it, oh, okay, I mean, maybe um, I'm jumping the gun here, but it feels a bit like your, the goal behind your NGO is maybe to inspire a whole other generation of people to get involved in this field. That's a very good question. Yes, because I do feel, um, you know, I was fortunate because I got to do something that, um, you know, not many people had the opportunity to do. And that, so I see it as an obligation to people from with my background, because you know, um, science is so powerful because of the aspect of critical thinking. You know, for me, I, I feel that um, if you give young people uh, access to science, I would be doubtful that they can be manipulated into some fanatical, uh, you know, uh, ideologies in general. So I feel at least that was the case for me, you know, uh, and, and I think it's my obligation to try to inspire uh, not all, I mean, because we do this work in Africa, but also uh, I work with people from that, that have origins from North Africa in France to give them an opportunity to integrate better, but also know that if, if they really believe in something, they can just work hard and they can achieve it. And, and it, it will change their entire life as it, as it has changed mine. Uh, Anita was saying earlier that you know, she, she, she's, we were talking about how do people get into space science and all this, and she says, you know, everybody she works with is just so passionate about this. Most people could be doing something else, maybe earning more money, probably earning more money doing it. But just it's these people that are very, very passionate and want to do what they want to do, can get into the field. And there's, and there's lots of different ways. I mean, we're even seeing the explosion, of course, of the commercial um, private sector space uh, industry in the US at the moment as well. Um, one of the things you touched on, actually, I mean, coming, coming back to, the, to your work on the, on, on the most recent lander, is the, the fact that, I mean, the keynote has mentioned that quite a large number of the Mars missions don't actually work. Um, I think, was it, was it, was it 60%? Or something? 60%. 60%. And so you've been involved with sort of three successful landings and one successful orbiter. So um, what, what, was, what was it about those missions, you think, that gave them the edge over the previous missions? Was it, was it luck or was it understanding or? Um, I, I, no, uh, I think what gave the, this mission the, you know, the success rate or the success percentage that we have is that um, we have a very cohesive team that uh, horizontal. In other words, we don't have a lot of hierarchy and every person in the team has a voice. And also we felt like there's a lot of trust 
In other words, everybody felt ownership because we, we were made aware of all the challenges that laid ahead. And, and it's like you get one single shot, you don't get a second chance. And once you launch something, you cannot change it. I really felt like a lot of people, and that's maybe also driven by Bash, but also they feel ownership. And, and when I say cohesive, cohesive in a sense that they we all work towards the same common goal, but there are some very, very heated um, exchanges actually to the point where some people end up crying in meetings. And that was like, I hadn't seen it working on other missions, you know, other than the Mars missions. And the reason why, because people are so passionate and, and I feel like overall the project benefits because when you have checks and balances and people are pushing the limit to uh, forcing the other side to really make a very, very uh, compelling argument, I think everybody benefits. So I felt like at this so that is a sense, as I said, when, when you know, you, you empower people, but you also make them accountable and also part of the overall experience. I think they, they give their best. Uh, and also keep in mind in space, it, we take small steps. So we built on the shoulders of the giants that came before us, you know, whether landing a man on the moon or uh, landing, like in my case, uh, uh, MER came right after Pathfinder. If you've seen the movie The Martian, right? That's the Pathfinder, yeah. you know. Uh, so we have also learned some lessons from that that we built on, and, and then hopefully, you know, current generation, future generations will use that. So it's, it's now going back to luck. Yes. Um, there is absolutely that element that every because it's single point failure mm. so I'll be lying if I say that luck doesn't play in, into you know this end-to-end uh, -end, you know uh, landing because you know your car works every day one day you try to turn the ignition it doesn't start because the battery is dead or something yeah. right so anything could happen during the entry descent and landing because the whole system is single string. Um, and, and so thinking of the future, I mean, are you involved in further missions on Mars at the moment? So are you involved in the 2016 mission and beyond? For oh example? yes, actually I'm involved in the 2016 uh, InSight mission. Um, we, we will know soon <laughs> uh, whether that mission is going to be launching or not. So it's scheduled for March 2016. There's some minor things that have to be worked out, uh, but it, it's uh, at least we have a big uh, rover coming up too. It's called Mars 2020. It's similar to in the platform than what you've seen as Mars uh, as Curiosity. The only difference is uh, we hope that's gonna continue is a small little helicopter that's gonna be part of uh, this rover and it's gonna, after the rover lands, so the idea this helicopter is gonna do some reconnaissance and will uh, provide important data to the rover to basically change, uh, uh, you know, direction, to, you know, because it's, it takes a long time for the rover to move 
and then this will be like you said the helicopter do some reconnaissance come back I think that would be cool but I mean it, uh, we make it sound easy but as as you've heard uh, only one percent we're doing only what one percent of the atmosphere yeah. compared to earth so there's some challenges of flying a little helicopter there but I think it's it's uh, you can't gonna, you can't get a quadcopter from Amazon and just put some stuff on it and think well, that's gonna uh, you know what Sam you'll be surprised <laughs> actually that's where we're starting <laughs> yes we are <laughs> so what we we try to also use um, you know commercial product as much as as possible because I think it's mm. important but and we altered it in when if we can save money in some areas then we can spend in others now um, I'm not sure if Anita touched on this in uh, 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 this area but um, you know this uh, rovers I mean the whole point is we want to collect as much data as we can uh, in preparation of landing man on the surface so the fact that we have succeeded in landing uh, you know payload a rover that weighs about 960 kilograms and prior to that we had only landed 200 kilograms so I think we're on the we're on good uh, you're on the right trajectory, trajectory. yeah yes. yeah um, and one of the things you touched on right at the end of the keynote was sort of really making clear to, I think, to all of us that in some way we, we are involved in this. We can't, we may not have the scientific background, but there are ways in which we can help and have helped already the program. You know? I mean, uh, what, what, what sort of things are you touching on there? What, what sort of thoughts are you having around how a, a lowly software engineer can in some way help benefit landing something on Mars? Well, actually, they have already. I think where I feel it's, uh, you know, the message is not communicated well because a lot of, I mean, I, I for just as an example, we use Java. Mm. And I met a gentleman here who's behind uh, that company. And, 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 you know, it's nice that at least people know. And, and he, he told me, he just found out that, that Java was used uh, in part of the software in one of the components or one of the modules on the rover so um, because we have to get humans to Mars and we're limited by we have some strict constraints uh, because of the current technology we have so we need to rely more on software so initially think about years ago I mean everything was almost hardware right then when we land on the moon I would say maybe 10-15% of what was uh, done 85% hardware maybe 10-15% software well we're going in the direction where we want to be 70% software and 30% hardware so just the, the direction we're taking puts anyone that is a passionate about science and software in the in the driver's seat right because you, you you are I mean and people who are involved in software right now are are already part of this space exploration they just don't know it because if tools that you write sometimes that people that work with us uh, come across in an for open source and stuff and they see there is a use uh, you know practical use for them and then we can uh, qualify them as as we call flight that you know they they are so robust we use them I mean there is no reason not to so 
just as I mentioned, we need to, like the space program, relies and 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 uh, um, on the software community to continue to innovate, continue to push the envelope because ultimately, actually, they are the they are the drivers for for being able to achieve big things in you know in exploration. As, as somebody said once recently that software is eating the world, it seems that software is actually eating the solar system, piece by piece. Yes, and I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of eating to do <laughs> because we, we can actually, in my opinion, we can, we can even collaborate in a more effective way than we have. And that's what just, I think that's the challenge where I just want to leave you with this because you have in the space industry, um, you know, you can go to school, get a degree, and you think, oh yeah, I got out of school, I tested a CubeSat, and I can actually design things that works in space. And the first day at work, you realize, you know what, there's a lot of things you learn in school, but actually, a lot of things you learn, it's by doing. And, and, and through all these experiences of people who have worked and, and dealt with these issues uh, in real life. So, because of that, um, I think, we, we, the challenge or, or, or the, I see it as an opportunity is to find how can we uh, find a nice balance where people with a lot of experience and no computer experience that anytime they see software they panic which is unfortunately true for a lot of people from the older generation and this dynamic wonderful young generation with great ideas but yet they cannot do it alone so I think the challenge for any space ex future ex space exploration is not really building the hardware is how we can make these two generations work in a, a most effective way uh, that's in my opinion the challenge that we have to overcome as as people that's wonderful thank you so much no, no, thank you sam it's a thank pleasure so that's our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can get more details, links and notes over at magpietalkshow.com. Please do leave a comment over at iTunes. It really does help other people find the show. And thanks to those of you who have done so so far. If you like what you've heard, please remember to subscribe at iTunes directly or go to magpietalkshow.com. And that way you'll never miss an episode. And until next time, have a great week. Mm -hmm.